You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to the Win Win podcast. This is Ben Wolf, as always, your host. I'm uh, pleased to welcome my guest today on the topic of negotiating for life, Chris Voss. Now, before we get into introducing him, I want to uh, ask everybody to pause and stop for a second. Uh, as you know, the content here and information we're sharing and that Chris and other guests have been sharing are uh, extremely valuable for business owners, small and mid-sized businesses, the way to have the algorithms give, give that that access and that knowledge to more people is when you like and subscribe this content, share this episode uh, with other people you think would benefit from it and would learn something from it, I'd like you to please do that. Uh, and with that, I want to get introducing get into introducing our guest today. Uh, he is the CEO, founder, and instructor at the Black Swan Group. I'll share the website there. That's blackswanltd.com. Uh, he founded the Black Swan Network on the Fireside Chat program, which just really opens up the teachings of the Black Swan Network and, and Chris and Never Split the Difference uh, to a lot more broader spectrum of people. Uh, so I ask you to check that out. We'll share the links in the description below. We'll hopefully even get a chance to talk about it a little bit. Uh, Chris spent 25, 24 years at the FBI, where he was a lead international kidnapping negotiator. He wrote the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. Again, link in the description. And I'm thrilled to say, welcome, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, it uh, yeah, definitely my pleasure as well. And I guess I want to start off asking you the same thing I ask all of my guests, which is if you can give us a quick two-minute background, sort of like where you came from that gets us to the point of talking about, or maybe your your fascination, which I know you talk about in the book, how you got into it, but uh, how you got into negotiation and, and such that we're talking about this today. Yeah. All right. Uh, small town, blue collar kid from Iowa. Um traditional midwestern family from the 1960s you know i'm a last century guy uh wanted to be in law enforcement uh went on as police officer kansas city missouri police department good very good police department still looking to learn and grow and so the lure of international travel beckoned me to federal law enforcement joined the fbi pittsburgh then new york city uh was a swat guy fbi swat in pittsburgh then in New York City, uh, in the process of trying to go on for the hostage rescue team, which is the FBI's equivalent of the Navy SEALs, re-injured my knee, love crisis response, tried to get into hostage negotiation, got rejected, asked what I needed to do to get in, did it, got in, loved it. You know, the uh, thought of changing outcomes with just words, behavioral change, rapport, empathy, emotional intelligence, you know, all mystical, magical things, alchemy back then, which we have a much better handle on these days. Ended up becoming the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator, spent the last seven years of my FBI career kind of working kidnappings all over the globe. Got out, started teaching the ideas in business schools, uh, uh, taught at Harvard Law School, taught at Georgetown's business school, USC's business school, my students killed it using hostage negotiation techniques in, the, in their everyday lives and their businesses. Wrote Never Split the Difference with my son and Brandon Voss and Tall Roz. You know, Brandon Voss, the uncredited co-author, Tall Roz, genius business book writer. 
founder of the Black Swan Group. Uh, Never Split the Difference has been the best-selling business negotiation book in the world since it came out back in 2016. All right. Awesome. I appreciate it. And I guess what, you know, my world that 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 I'm in is the small and mid-sized business world. Yeah. You know, but we have a fractional COO firm, largest of that type. Real but, entrepreneurs, right? I mean, small yeah. and mid-sized, these are entrepreneurs. Yeah, not, this is not big corporate. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, I think that when a lot of a lot of people in this world think of negotiation, they think of, oh, it's the big corporate or big boardroom or like these big high-stakes deals that don't come along very often. Yeah. And they don't realize how it's part of daily life, daily business, right. and even personal life. Right. So I guess what my, my first question is, if you could share a couple stories that just kind of illustrate, what, you know, times when negotiation skills, philosophy came into, you know, comes into, you know, business life, like in, in a, you know, normal, smaller, mid-sized business. Yeah. Well, the most dangerous negotiation is one you don't know you're in. Um, and then, so the black swan philosophy is collaboration, you know, it's, and as you said before, some of this nonsense, corporate negotiations are deceptive table pounding. You know, I got a friend of mine whose, um, brother worked for Microsoft and he, and he said as a CEO or not a CEO, but an executive with, I think it was Microsoft that his brother said, you know, say whatever you got to say to get your way. And he told me candidly, you know, kind of ruined my brother. Hmm. And we don't do that. We don't teach that. That's bad long term. Um, uh, Negotiations should be about great collaboration, long term trusted relationships. Now, from everything to do you want to collaborate on a project internally in a company? And anytime the words I want or I need are in in your head or coming out of your mouth, you're in a negotiation. It's not just Mm. about money. It's really about collaboration. You know, what time do you want to get the meeting started? Uh, who's going to show up on time, whether or not you're going to implement the strategy that we're working on together. This is all collaboration and it should be collaboration of trusted relationships. Like we negotiate my company with each other every day. Got about 22, 23 people. The number fluctuates uh, based on turnover. Like I get, I get a text before I come on with you and um, my assistant is asking me a question. Now I got to find out what's behind the question before I, you know, for me to fully answer. And I go, well, you know, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. Let me think about it. Seems like you have a reason for asking. I'm in a negotiation for information right now with my assistant. Before I answer, I got to know the context and I got to respond to her in a way that makes it easy for her to give me information so I can make a better decision. I could say, what makes you ask? which is one way to pull that information from her, from anybody else. But seems like you have a reason for asking is easier on the brain to answer. It's less work. I'll get a more candid answer. So I'm negotiation, negotiating constantly with everybody around wow. me. Everybody. Right. Uh, yeah. And I love that labeling example with, uh, right there, you know, labeling what it is, making a statement an observation and just creating the opening. Yeah, create well said. Creating an opening so somebody feels comfortable responding. Right. What What about what's a time? And you talk about this in your book, but like, what's a what's an example of where people have used some of these skills, like in their personal life, with their wife, friends, kids, husband? Yeah. Well, um, when my son was playing football, and it's one of the stories in the book. 
you know, I need a behavior change. What, what was the behavior change? He was uh, an offensive lineman and got moved to um, a middle linebacker. And an offensive lineman, I mean, these guys are like uh, mountain goats, uh, you know, mountain rams. I mean, they hit everything they could see. They crash into it with their head. They, you know, they, they feel bad if they miss anything. And a um, uh, middle linebacker's got to not do, only hit one person, guy with the ball. Middle linebacker's got to duck and dodge and get out of everybody's way. Now, that rubs a lineman, offensive lineman, against the grain. They think getting out of somebody's way is trying to hit them is, is un, unmanly. It's cowardly. And, and, you know, he's playing football, and he's not listening to me. He's not ducking blocks. He's not listening to his coach. You know, he's soaking up half of the blockers, and somebody else is making a tackle. And we keep coaching him, and I'm, and I'm thinking, like, well, you know, what is going through this guy's mind? Because that's what empathy is about. What's going through the other side's mind? How do they see it? Not how they should see it. He should see it that his job has changed and he needs to do it differently. But he's not seeing it that way. And I think, you know, all right, so from his perspective, getting out of the way of somebody's trying to hit him is, is cowardly. You know, it's unmanly. So I pull him off to the side one day and, and I say, you think that if you duck and get out of the way, of somebody who's trying to hit you on a football field, that makes you less of a man, that it makes you cowardly. And it kind of looks down and he goes, that's right. Which are the magic words, not your right. That's right. When, when you something is revealed to you as truth, that's what you say. Or when you completely agree. And that's right, you're trying to get one or two things out of people to get them to change their mind. Either they completely agree or you reveal the truth to them that was eaten at him. And he, he said, that's right. He started ducking blocks the very next day. Hmm. What's wrong with you're right? You're right is what everybody says to somebody else when you just want them to stop talking. <laughs> 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 Many marriage marriages are surviving on a band-aid of your right. You know, they, they're using it to, to duck arguments, then and they use it over and over and over again, men, men and women, to get the other person to stop bothering them about something because they don't want to make them mad. They don't just don't want to hear it anymore. And they look at the other person and they say, You're right. And what amazes me is everybody does this to keep the peace and not comply. And nobody realizes when it's being done to them. <laughs> it's hysterical. When I, when I know, let's say I'm the nagger. I, I notice I notice it's been done to me. I read your book or whatever it is. I listen to this podcast and somebody's going, you're right. You're right. You're right. I know you're right. And and I realized, oh my gosh, we just, we got caught in this trap. They're nice. not here. They're not hearing me. Yeah. Like what, a, how do we break the pattern? Yeah. It's a great question. Um, And, and congratulations to you for, 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 for waking up to it. I mean, a friend of mine, um, I live in Vegas and this guy, a good guy named Tim Larkin runs a shooting range and teaches self-defense. You know, he wrote a book called, he's in a Black Belt Hall of Fame, a Black Belt Hall of Fame, he wrote a book called When Violence is, is the Answer. Like, when is the answer? It's the answer. It's a last resort. And, of course, a guy like that's interested in verbal communication. 
And he comes up to me and he says, one day he says, oh man, you saved me so much money because I'm in a meeting with my executives. And one of them looks at me and says, Tim, you're right. And like you, he thinks, holy cow, I am off track. And instead of getting angry, he stops the meeting. He pulls everybody out separately and he hears each person out. You know, he takes it as a sign. The other, the other person saying like, look, you're just not listening to me and I can't take it anymore. So what's the first move? First move is probably a label. Like the label that I used earlier. You get somebody saying you're right to you. The appropriate label would be, seems like there's something here I missed. Seems like I'm just not listening. Because the label is, you know, verbal ob <clears throat> verbal observation of a dynamic or an emotion. In a hostage negotiation, we call them emotion labels, just labeling emotions. In a black swan method, you know, we've really learned it could also be labeling a dynamic, labeling a thought in the other person's head. It's not labeling the person. It's labeling the emotion or the dynamic. It's not really labeling the words. Because if they say you're right, an inappropriate label would, seems like you agree. Well, they don't. Dynamic is you're missing, you're not listening. So with practice, it seems very hard at first. But with practice, you can slap a label on almost anything. And, and as you said, it creates openings for people to talk to you. The example you gave a second ago about, you know, seems like I'm not listening. Uh, yeah. I think that was what you said a second ago. Yeah. The, I mean, that's, that's also an example, I think, of, of, what, you, of what you talk about. And I, I want to get into this also of the accusation audit, right? Because you're saying, yeah. what, what, just... Tell, tell us here, what is an accusation audit? What does that mean? All right, so the definition is you do an audit of the possible crazy, ridiculous accusations the other side could be making against you, at you, about you. Not you towards them. It's the negativity that they may be harboring. And if, you're, if it's hard for you to define... <clears throat> Ask yourself, what do I want to deny? You know, I don't, and what would you say? I don't want you to think this. I don't want you to think that. I don't want you to think this. Now that gives you your list because your gut instinct is, is picking up. If, if you're saying to yourself, look, I, uh, I don't want you to think I'm being greedy. I don't want you to think I'm not listening. I don't want you to think I'm being disrespectful. Now that's your list. Now you don't say it that way. But a great way to get started is your gut's, accurately picking up what the problems are and it's the things that either negativity that either does exist or could exist because it has a very inoculating effect now this is backed up by neuroscience and everybody's default mode of thinking your survival mode is highly negative that's that's how we wake up in the morning that's why people do gratitude exercises because you're trying to get out of the default negativity you need a daily practice of some sort to go from survival mode to success mode. Success mode is highly positive. That's why it's successful. And that's why you need a daily uh, practice because it's mental hygiene, just like oral hygiene. So your accusations audit is, you know, trigger off on, come up with a list of things that you either is or could be in their head. And there's usually a pretty standard list actually when you start getting used to it. They're worried about wasting their time. They're worried about, 
you seeming, uh, you being greedy, you grabbing too much. It's a pretty predictable list. Mm-hmm. And then instead of denying it, you just throw it out there as a label. It probably seems like X. Probably seems like I'm being disrespectful. Or it's going to sound like I'm disrespectful. What this does, instead of planting negatives, which everybody is afraid of, it diffuses or inoculates. Those are the only two things it does. It doesn't plant negatives. I know it works because there's been a number of brain science experiments that show that it works. People are harboring mm-hmm. negativity in their brain. They're in an fMRI. The negativity is just called out. And the activity in the brain that's buzzing with the negativity goes down mm-hmm. every time. Now, it goes down to different degrees, but it goes down every time by throwing a label on from the other side's perspective. And you start out by throwing a label on And it's kind of that. It's a list of neutralizing negative emotion labels. So to preempt that negativity that you predict is there or will be there, you put that label on it, neutralizes it. Uh, and you're right that, you know, oh, we think oh, that- You said what? you're right. Oh, well, I mean it this time (laughs) that it feels like when I'm thinking about using that, it feels like, uh, you know, it it does feel like, well, if I, if I name something that they weren't thinking and now they are going to think it, but you're saying that that's, uh, that's what we think. That's the, but that's, that's not the reality. As a, as a guy named Anton runs an internet security company, small, medium-sized business, great guy, phenomenal company. And he's adopted this wholeheartedly. Now he's getting ready to talk to a client that uh, he's got to sell a new server to. And he knows the client is going to feel like, you know, he's gouging him, he's taking him for a ride, he's charging too much already. All the typical concerns of a small business person. And he was telling us, he, he worked on the accusation audit for two nights in a row. You know, he's he's willing to embrace, but it's scaring the hell out of him. And he's coming up with the list. I mean, he's coming up with a long list. And he said the first time through, it made him feel dirty. I mean, it just, just, it made him feel horrible. And he was thought he was poisoning the atmosphere. So he finally worked his way through it and sold the guy three servers. <laughs> And once you got to the other side, you know, it's like any painful experience. When you really find out what's on the other side, then going through it is not painful. Going through it is delightful because, you you know, where you're going has changed dramatically. Emotional pain and physical pain kind of resonate in the same parts of your body. And the first time when it's painful, you don't know where it's going. You think it's only going to get worse. I remember the first time when I had knee surgery, I, I, I had... I put ice on my knee. First time I ever put ice directly on my knee. And I remember the, you know, the physical therapist put it on my knee and it hurt and it hurt and it hurt. You know, I'm an FBI agent. I'm about two seconds away from pulling a gun on this guy. and Get that thing off my knee or I'll blow your brains out. Like it was making me angry. And then probably about six, seven minutes in, suddenly the pain went away and I felt all this soothing the inflammation's going out of my knee, the pain's going out. And I'm like, ow, 
this is where this is going. And the next time the guy puts ice on my knee, understand it's the exact same feeling. But instead of it being painful, I know where we're going. I'm delighted at the experience. So these emotional experiences and physical pain mm. experiences are the same way. First time you do an accusations audit, you're going to feel horrible. And when you get to the other side and see where it's going, like Anton uses this stuff constantly now because he knows where it's going. Right. So hard the first time. The uh, Honestly, that concept is sort of something that I'm naturally drawn to because I hate the tension yeah. of like unspoken things. And so for me, it's sort of like a, a release, the concept of, Yes. Stating out loud <clears throat> these things that are giving me anxiety that I think they think or that they might think. And so I don't know, it's, it's uh, you know, just a somewhat different reaction to it, you know, but I, I imagine everybody, once they get used to it, probably feels that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like when you when you start seeing how quickly it gets rid of the tension of the unspoken. And that's a, that's a great phrase. Because most people's experience is denying that tension. And it's like denying that there's an elephant in the room. And the person's reaction is to explode. And to understand the difference is the two millimeter shift is going from the denial to the observation. And if you haven't experienced it, you can't imagine that's going to make the difference. But the tension of the unspoken then interferes with all thinking. Right. Nobody can think because that tension is palatable. And it gets in the way of collaboration. Right, right. You're operating from fear or insecurity. Uh, when people try to, you know, they read your book, maybe they're attending the, the the Fireside Chat Black Swan Network program, or they're learning from you in one way or another, trying to apply these teachings. Uh, I guess, what is like the biggest mistake that people make when they try to apply these things? What's the biggest mistake that people make? Well, the accusations order a lot of people sort of kind of pull their punches, hmm. you know, instead of saying, look, you it probably seems like I'm the greediest person you ever met. They're going to want to say, yeah, it might seem like maybe I might be asking too much. Like the minute you start trying to pull your punches on the accusations on it, you know, you might, be uncomfortable with this as opposed to you're going to hate this. Mm. And like with, you know, the, the other book I got up on a screen, uh, the full fee agent, like residential real estate agents, they got to deliver bad news all the time. And, you know, we'll teach them to say, look, this is going to break your heart. Mm. And they're like, I can't say that. I mean, it's one of my favorite phrases. Like I, this is going to break your heart because then you're afraid of the impact. And and when the other person like braces themselves and they go like, all right, what is it? And you tell them and they go like, oh, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's understanding where you're taking people. I mean, I get, you know, we got kind of, it's almost, it's sort of famous and legendary in the Black Swan Method now, invented by my son, how to get a free hotel suite upgrade. And it's a, it's a three-step process. And uh, the first part, when you've got the hotel clerk's attention behind the desk, which is after you've provided their, your ID and after they've found your reservation, if you have one, 
because they're people can't multitask and you you don't try to don't try to get somebody's attention while they're busy on a computer you're wasting mm. your time you might as well hit yourself in the head with a baseball bat so after they find your reservation and for me i'll say you know have you found my number you know have you got me and i'll go i'm getting ready to ruin your day and you just they just go ah oh. <laughs> And then you proceed. And by the time you're done, they love you. And you can you can use it in all kinds. I use it for late checkouts. Like I'm, I'm in a hotel. I'm trying to get a late checkout. That's a commodity in a hotel. It's tough for them to give it to you. You know, at, at 10 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. front desk, worst time in the morning to call a hotel. Because they're getting call after call after call. People demanding late checkouts. I call this young lady. I got need, need a late checkout. She's like, no, nah, I can't do it. And I'm like, Think to myself, do I really got to go down to the front desk and do this? Because I'm trying to do it from my room and I've blown it on the call. So I go out of my room, I walk down, walk up to the same young lady that has told me on a phone she can't give me a late checkout. And when she looks at me, I go like, I'm getting ready to ruin your day. And she just goes, oh. Because, you know, in a hotel, they've seen some crazy stuff. And she goes, what is it? I go, I need a late checkout. She goes, is that it? Okay. She gives it to me on the spot. <laughs> when you're, when you're, when it's not so much about like the severity of what you're about to say, but like, a ne- I guess negative things that people think about you or might be thinking about you. Why, if, if I throw in things that they weren't thinking about me, why what's the reason why that doesn't plant the seat? Like, why doesn't that like I understand like if I say something that really is happening and then that sort of diffuses it, but if it's something that they're not thinking, like you know, maybe they thought this one thing, but then you mentioned the second thing that they weren't thinking about you. Why doesn't that plant a seed or somehow make it worse? Like what right? That, how do you, you understand know, that's that? A scientist question. And here's why that's a scientist question. Scientists don't want to admit anything exists until they can explain the mechanism. And what, you know, what they do is they deny that it exists until they explain the mechanism, like the Stockholm syndrome. And, and if, and if it's so prevalent that they have to admit it exists, but they can't explain the mechanism, they call it a syndrome. Stockholm syndrome was originally, you know, what happens when people are, are, are faced with a similar uh, threat and they should be enemies and they bond. Hostages in a bank in Stockholm, Sweden, refuse to testify against the hostage takers after the fact. And nobody could explain why. It made no sense. And it was so obvious. Psychologists said, well, it's a syndrome, which is an admission of a scientist that something works, but they can't explain why. So they call it a syndrome. It's why very much like where the placebo effect. You know, scientists wrote off a lot of stuff. And now there's neuroscientists science that actually explains that the placebo effect actually works and you can heal yourself through your brain and why it works. Hmm. But they didn't want to admit that. So why does this not plant seeds? They haven't run the brain science experiments yet. I just know, you know, our qualitative unscientific research does it over and over and over. And so I know as a practitioner, like if we were to sit down and do a rigorous study, we could probably prove it scientifically. I got better things to do with my time. 
So, you know, what do I do? I'm I'm doing a Q&A a couple of years ago. Guy asked me a question that I cannot find a kernel of value. His question just tells me that I don't know what he was thinking about. He wasn't thinking about anything he had to do because his question was just dumb. And as a general rule, all the questions that get asked, they got something good in them. And I can say, well, all right, so... I know the reason you're asking this, and this is, I really admire your thinking behind this. And this poor guy, like there, I couldn't find anything in that question to congratulate on, on his thinking. And my answer is going to be pretty much, dude, you weren't paying attention. You know, wake, wake up. And I'm trying to think, I, I don't want to embarrass this guy. I embarrass him in front of the group. It's going to be horrible. So I go, this is going to sound harsh. Now I'm doing exactly what you asked me about. Cause there's not, he, I haven't sounded harsh. He's got no reason to think it. It's a highly productive environment. I'm looking to inoculate from a negative that has not existed yet. It, it's not there yet, but it's coming. If I let it, the train is coming at me. If I let it hit me, I go, this is going to sound harsh. And I answer his question kind of bluntly. And then so that I don't linger on how he reacts, you know, I take the next question and I'm in the middle of taking the next question and a guy pops up and he goes, that wasn't harsh. It works. Right. You don't so, know why. Yeah. I don't know why, but here's what I'd suggest to everyone in your audience. Road test the stuff in small stakes negotiations with your significant others, with um, your colleagues, with your kids and before you're getting ready to deliver bad news, which they have no ideas coming, say like, look, it's going to make me sound like a jerk. It's going to sound harsh. You're going to hate this. Whatever one of those works for you in the situation. Right. Wait a, no more than three seconds, no more. And then, then give them the answer. See how it lands. Right. So for people that want to, you know, that they want to apply this stuff, obviously people can read the book, never split the difference. If people are in real estate, they can read the full fee agent that you came out with uh, last year. And uh, what, you have this other program, the, the Black Swan Network with the uh, Fireside Chat platform. Like, why'd you create that? Like what, who is it for? What can people get out of it? Yeah. You know, originally um, I was, it's founders are Mark Cuban and Fallon Fatimi. Fallon's a friend of mine. She's a brilliant girl. She at one point in time, um, she was Google's youngest employee. And that, you know, they, they envisioned it as an interactive podcast network. And what it's turned out to be is it's actually group coaching. And we charge a lot of money for group coaching. And you have to already have had a starting point. Like you, you probably, most of the people that are on have read Never Split the Difference. Most, not all, have taken a um, the, uh, the negotiation class I have on Masterclass. Masterclass is an absurd value. Like you, you pay nothing for it. $180, $190 for a year. And some people, you know, I'll charge you uh, for a coaching session, an uh, individual coaching session, is far, far, far more than that, let alone group coaching. So we started this fireside thing as an interactive podcast. 
And it turns out what it really is, is group coaching. So after you've laid, laid down a basis, it's a subscription model. Mm -hmm. And you, you want to go, cause our in-person training is very expensive. I mean, a lot of money. So how do you bridge the gap? How do you, how do you make a big enough difference in your life that you can afford? Cause you can afford the book, you can afford masterclass, but to make that jump to the in-person training and fireside has turned out to be the perfect thing. Like if your company paid for a month of training with my company, group coaching once a week, an hour a week for your group of people, we're going to charge you over $25,000 for that for a month's worth of group coaching. Mm -hmm. Fireside is a thousand dollars for the year, not for the month, for the whole year. Mm -hmm. And so you come on and we'll do, we'll, we'll have a topic of the day and which about a half an hour of instruction, about a half an hour Q and a, and you can ask about what we're talking about that day. And we don't talk about it in theoretical terms. We're very practical. Use this now, do this now, or stop doing this now. And you're going to be able to have an impact on your life immediately. And then if you got a question about that, then people get the opportunity to ask questions. The last session that I did probably about two weeks ago, this guy signs on, he's got a question about negotiating with his boss. And I'm like, look, dude, it's pitch black where you are. What are you hiding in somebody's basement? Are you going to run from the police? You know, trying to figure out how to, how to get out of going to jail. And he goes, no, as a matter of fact, I'm on a mountaintop in Tibet. And I'm like, what? This app works. You got internet and, I'm, and he's like, yeah. And you know, I got a negotiation coming up later today when the sun comes up with my boss who is not an American because I'm in Tibet and I need some guidance. And I'm like, this is cool. This is a lot of fun. Wow. The, reach. <laughs> the reach. That's amazing. Well, so we'll, we'll share the link where people can, can learn more about the, the fireside chat, black Swan network, uh, the group coaching, uh, share the other links we talked about. Really appreciate Chris, you making the time to do this, sharing this information, allowing me to, you know, ask these, uh, ask these questions. And I just appreciate you introducing this to the whole audience here. Yeah. The pleasure is mine. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Thank you very much. And everybody else will see you on the other side. Thanks. You're listening to win, win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.